scheduled in the bottom of the ninth. Look out! Oh, my goodness. The 0-1. Oh, that got him, and it got him in the face. Oh, my goodness. Well, after the little oh, okay. practice. There we go. There we go. So, that's it. Hello and welcome. You are up and in with the Chin Music Podcast. I'm Nick, your host. And I'm also getting a little bit of echo, so if Ben could mute... That would be amazing. And speaking of Ben, I will now introduce him. He's the deepest pit of college baseball knowledge. Someone who is so incredible at podcasting that the only thing he does better is husk corn. Nebraska native Ben. Ben, now that I'm asking you a question, you may unmute. I am curious what your ideal situation to watch a big game is. So I'm thinking... Cubs World Series, you know, some sort of a Super Bowl. What, what's your ideal situation? Where are you at? Who's with you? What are you eating? What's the ideal situation? So, like, that definitely changes game to game, right? Like, Super Bowl, I don't really want to be there. Um, I feel like Super Bowl is more of, like, a social occasion in my eyes. Like, I'd rather be at, like, a, you know, a friend's home, you know, a couple pals, some beer watch some commercials and the Super Bowl and make some bullshit bets. Uh, market explicit, Nick. Um, I was just about to say <laughs> explicit officially. Um, so if it's like a Super Bowl, that. But like if it's a Cubs World Series game, like the ideal viewing scenario is like in the bleachers, right? You'd oh, want to be oh, at sorry, one of those sorry, I should have specified. I'm not including like being at the game. I'm talking about. Oh, I can't be like at the game. No, no, no. Oh, if it's like a big about. Cubs game. Um, if if it were like a big Cubs World Series game, I'd like to be alone in my basement so I could pace and yell in peace. <laughs> like I don't want to be around people in a huge stress game like that. I don't need anybody giving me crap about the Cubs losing. I want to be alone to experience the event. Okay, I think okay, but the Super Bowl is like a big social thing for you. Who I don't even know who is your football team. I mean, I kind of cheer for the Lions, but I don't really have one. So, like, the, the, I never have anything riding on them. Okay, that's that's interesting. I think, I think I, I respect wanting to be alone for a big game that you're like super invested in. But I feel like, I don't know, if the Cardinals were in the World Series, like, I think my experience thinking about like the 2011 Game Six, like if I was as you mentioned, like just me watching that, I feel like the experience could be a lot better if you're in a group of people. But I, I think that it would have to be at least a majority people that are rooting on your same side. Because I agree with your sentiment. Like, I don't want to be like, I, like I imagine a lot of, well, at least a lot of your friends that I know are Cardinals fans. So I wouldn't really probably want to watch a Cubs World Series in that environment. Um, and I think similarly with, cause I'm a Cowboys fan for football, like if the Cowboys are in the Super Bowl, I probably don't want to watch the Super Bowl with a lot of people because there aren't many people that are enthusiastic about cheering for the Cowboys. And I think that would be a tough environment to watch the game in. Like if, I don't know, like if Dak is like on the four yard line and throws a pick and I'm like, 
pissed and then everybody else is just like pointing at me and laughing and stuff that would make the experience much less enjoyable but yeah i watched uh i watched game seven of the world series cubs i didn't really watch it because every game that i had watched in the playoffs uh the cubs would lose so i would like track it with like the espn tracker thing on my ipad uh and i i did that alone in my bedroom uh, while the game was happening, because my dad's uh, rather cruel during the game, big baseball cynic, even though he's a Cubs fan, and uh, would just just make fun of me because he he liked getting the reaction. Yeah, I remember. I, it's it's kind of weird. I don't remember like where I was for many games. I don't think. Like I remember where I was like for the Dez where he caught the ball against the Green Bay Packers. I remember where I was during that. And I remember where I was during that game seven, Cubs, Cleveland. I remember where I was during it was in my freshman year dorm. Watch the game. I remember I was so pissed. And I like had this take where I thought that the Cubs winning the World Series like killed baseball. I was like, I feel like the Cubs drought was like such a big story in baseball. And now that it was over, I was like, we're going to lose so many baseball fans. Of like, But obviously that was a bad take and hasn't aged super well. But um, yeah, I, I remember where I was during that Cubs game. The Rajay Davis home run, I remember how excited I was. Oh, man. Hell of a game. I, I cried when he hit that home run. That was such Actual tears game. out of my eyes when Rajay Davis <laughs> hit that home run. I cannot believe that... I feel like that Rajay Davis home run is just overlooked so much just because obviously they didn't win. And I feel so bad for him because it was so electric. I remember being so pumped when he hit it. That home run and I think the uh, the Jorge Soler home run in the uh, in the World Series against – who is he playing against? Oh, the Astros. That was also – incredibly exciting because it reminded me a lot of that pool home run that you always see replayed those two moments i i remember very vividly but yeah all right i'm sorry we've we've been leaving brock out of the conversation for far too long let's let's bring him in let's bring him in brock here is a high school football district champion he's the greatest intramural quarterback that truman state has ever seen and certainly that i have ever seen legend has it he can hit a dime from 60 yards with his eyes closed He's number six on the field, but number one on this podcast. Paul Myra native, Brock. Brock, I'm curious what your favorite alcoholic beverage to drink is. Hmm. I would say probably just a Michelob Ultra. I'm, I don't drink hard alcohol. It's just too much, but if I'm going to enjoy an alcoholic beverage, it'll be out on the lake and probably just a an ultra or two. I think I agree with you with the uh, the light beer take, but I think I'd have to go with Bush Light. But I know I do agree. I don't know. Does it depend on the situation for you? Like whether you're like at a bar or whatever. Like, do you think at a bar you in, like enjoy like a mixed drink or like would you go for anything like that or do you think you still are just sticking with beer? Yeah, I like truly don't. Don't do mixed drinks. They kind of hurt my stomach and kind of try to shy away from them. Um, but I think this new wave of alcohol is kind of like microbreweries. 
So if they have like a vanilla or a light beer, those are, um, makes me sound really soft, but I have to drink really light beers or else it really messes up my stomach. So usually just a vanilla or cream or a light pale ale. It's kind of my go-to, I would say. Where's your favorite place to go and drink in Kirksville? Um, to be honest, I have not gone anywhere in my time here. Um, but when we were in college, um, probably the Dukem, honestly. Um, we didn't go there very often, but they have a pretty cool environment there. Um, not as many college kids and I guess Maxwell's if I'm going to have I was, a just about, I was just about to say, if, you're, if your opinion is not as many college kids, I feel like Maxwell's is the move. Yeah, probably Maxwell's. I guess that's the only place I've had an alcoholic beverage <laughs> in Cooksville, yeah. I think. So, yeah. What about you? What, what would your, you said Bush Light, but do you do mixed drinks at special occasions or? Um, I like a good, like, I think mine largely depends on the situation. Like, obviously, if I'm, like, watching a game or tonight I had a fantasy football draft and, like, I want to be drinking, you know, like a beer in that scenario. And if it's going to be, like, a long day of drinking, like, I think Bush Light is usually the move. Um, but I do think there are scenarios, like, if I go to a Mexican restaurant and I'm going to have, like, you know, chips and salsa and some sort of, like, quesadilla or burrito or something like I want to be drinking a marg I think margs can really can really hit in that scenario and I do think I just am in marg moods sometimes so margs are really good I think I pretty much am off of mixed drinks too though honestly in college I would do a lot more like you know the vodka water lime type angle but I I haven't really done that in a while. I would say it's either a mark or beer at this point. But I think that in terms of the beer scenario, um, Bushlight is super nice. But I also um, have been in becoming a bigger fan of like hazy IPAs. I think they're very good. Um, and then like the like sort of it's not necessarily beer, but like the hard kombucha is kind of a big thing on the West coast over here. So I've been kind of getting into that as well. And I think that's also very good. Yeah. It sounds like California for sure. <laughs> it's not just California. I would say... <laughs> Northwest too, but yeah. Yeah. I would say um, my fiance lives. She likes wine. It's special occasions. Like if we're at a nice restaurant, she'll get wine. But there are some times where I'll try a wine, but I, again, I, I can't, I can't really drink wine. It gives me acid reflux really bad. So <laughs> that's one thing I've learned is when I drink, I get acid reflux. So I, it's not a, not a good combination for me, unfortunately, but the lighter, paler type alcoholic beverages are probably the safest for me. Yeah. I guess I forgot to mention a couple of things. You just reminded me when you're talking about wine, there are some wines that I quite like. Um, but I do think it's like a situational thing too, like a wine, like with dinner or like a wine tasting. I love a little good wine tasting. There's a wine town down here in South Southern California called Temecula. And I went and did like some wine tasting and stuff. And that was super, super awesome. And I really liked that, but also like champ, like champagne, like mimosas. I can't believe I didn't mention mimosas when I was talking about my favorite alcoholic beverage. 
like I'll just drink mimosas like on Friday night. Like that'll just be like my Friday night drink. I think mimosas are so good. Um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely up there. I think it probably for me would go like beers, mimosas, and then um, Marks is probably my top three rankings. And then wine, if I get a good wine or like the right wine, like one that kind of really I enjoy, it could be up there as well. Are you a red or white, dry or sweet? What's your? I think dry reds um, are my preference typically. Um, there was this one, it was called a Meritage. I don't really know a bunch about wines, but it was just so good and it just goes down so easily and it's just it was just a really good wine and then there's another like almond champagne that was really good it's just i don't know like if you when i went to that wine town of temecula and there's like a ton of different uh like wine wine places and stuff that let you do tasting like that was an awesome experience and i really liked that All right. Well, I feel like we just talked about alcohol for a long time. Ben, let's let's get your uh, alcohol takes here. What, what can, let's give us some give us some top drinks. Uh, yeah, I'm mostly a light beer guy, um, but I do like uh, bourbon on the rocks if it's like a, a good bourbon. So I'll drink like Woodford Reserve, or I just bought one. I forgot the name of it, but it's the most I've ever spent on a bottle of whiskey. It was like sixty bucks. But they uh, they did samples at the liquor store I was at, which seems dangerous, but I love it. And uh, I tried it, and I was like, man, this is the smoothest whiskey I ever tasted. So I got that really good. I'm probably going to buy another bottle, even though it's, it's going to hurt my bottom line. <laughs> okay. Nice. Nice. My parents are big, uh, big bourbon people. They do the, uh, the bourbon trail down in Kentucky. I don't know if it goes to more states or if it's just in Kentucky, but they're big on that. So uh, if you ever want some recommendations, I'm sure they would, uh, they'd be happy to provide. I do know that at least my mom's taste is very expensive too. So yeah, tell them to, tell them to hit me with a list. Yeah, I will. I'd love uh, some I'll, recommendations. I'll ask my parents. Well, also they listen to this podcast, so maybe they'll just, uh, maybe they'll just uh, hit you up with their list, but I will ask for a list of top bourbons. From them. You're going to be very disappointed with my answer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get right into content updates. We can start with uh, on the list here. I have Vansel. Vansel. Vansel, can we get a content update? Oh, Vansel is not here and has not texted us back today in our group chat. We miss Vansel. Uh, we hope everything is all right with him. Um, but he ghosted us today, but that's OK. Content updates. We'll go to Ben. Ben, what have you been watching? Also, Vansel doesn't listen to this podcast, so he's never going to hear that <laughs> his entire life. Um, kind of tough. Uh, I've been kind of rewatching a little bit of It's Always Sunny, uh, and I watched uh, the movie Whiplash last night. It's like one of my favorite movies. Really solid. Uh, highly recommend. Not really going to get into the plot. It's just like, I don't know, I wouldn't do it justice, but won a bunch of awards, and uh, I highly recommend it's on Hulu right now. Nice, nice. I assume you've like watched it a bunch of times, Whiplash. Yeah, I watched it for the first time like this past spring. Okay. And then I watched it four days in a row. 
because I loved it so much, and I've been watching it like once a month since. I can't say I've ever watched a movie four times in a row, or four to- four days in a row, rather. Like I don't when I really I like a movie, I'll like watch it back to back to back like that. Sometimes I'll sit down and just like watch it twice in a row if like I'm really that like enthralled. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of movies that I've watched like multiple times. I would say I've watched like Shutter Island, Inception, and Rogue One. Those are probably like the three real movies I've watched the most. I've most and i've probably watched them each like maximum like five or six times i guess the movie i've actually probably watched most is uh employee of the month with dane cook which is a horrible movie but it's hilarious movie to have as number one it's i honestly think i have probably watched that movie the most um just like when we were kids like road trips it was always the go-to movie um but yeah, I don't know. I definitely have never watched a movie four days in a row. Brock, let's let's get some content updates. How many times have you watched Employee of the Month in the last week, Brock? Zero. I regret to inform. Um, I've been consuming a lot of football content, trying to get ready for the football season. But I did start um, Suits on Netflix. Um, it has the Duchess of Sussex. I just saw it all over the uh, the social medias, so I started it. It's uh, it's not great, but it's good background noise. It's got some good banter. Um, it's about lawyers in New York, so I'm sure Nick would hate it because it's a dramatization of that. So, yeah, I started a few episodes of that, and I don't know how long that'll last. Um, I think there's like six seasons of it. But, yeah, I'm kind of strapped for content right now, if I'm honest. Mostly just taking in football, as much football information in my free time as possible. Yeah, I think for my content update, I'm pretty much right in line with you there. Um, I would say that, I mean, I started, um, shoot, what's the meth show? Breaking Bad. I started Breaking Bad. A couple weeks ago and i mentioned that on this podcast and i said because i started i watched the first episode while i was walking on the treadmill i was like oh every time i walk on the treadmill i'll just watch an episode and i haven't been on the treadmill since so uh we haven't watched any uh any more episodes of breaking bad but uh i i think i agree with you i've just been doing a lot of podcasts a lot of uh fantasy football stuff trying to prepare for football season just had a draft earlier today i feel i feel all right about it um but yeah, no, it's pretty much just been a lot of football content for me. I'm so excited for football season. Um, and it was my birthday this last weekend, so obviously I was, like, not really sitting down and watching very much shows. I was mostly uh, going out and doing stuff with people. And, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've really watched much since the, uh, since the last show. Happy birthday. Right. birthday. Yeah, happy belated birthday. Uh, I did tell you happy birthday on your birthday, so I don't need to say the belated. But um, point of clarification, the Duchess of Sussex is uh, Meghan Markle. Uh, She married Harry, I think. She's an actress in the show. It's really weird to watch a royal family member be an actress. I don't know. It's 
gives me weird she, feelings. Suits is kind of it's older though, right? Isn't so she she did all that before she was. Yeah, I want to say it was 2011 was the first season, I think. At oh, least that's... they say 2011 in the show, so. Okay, yeah, no, that's honestly probably newer than I would have thought. So when did she, I, I don't know if you even know, but when would she have been, become royal? Uh, maybe, I want to say it was maybe my freshman year of college, so. Like 2017, maybe? 2018, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there, 17, 18. I don't know if they've even accepted her still, so. Yeah, that's fair. But she's she's still there. But she's still royal. Yeah. She's married. Um, yeah. And uh, I wonder, did, was Suits done at that point, or did she keep filming? I don't even. I'm not sure about that. Suits was done. Suits was done. I'm interested to see Brock's take on Suits. The first like season and a half, very very watchable, um, but it like just stays on like the same emotional plane the whole time. And there's not like tons of development, so I'm interested to see kind of what you think. I don't know. I, it I, reminds I feel... me early on. It reminds me of Longmire, like it's a good show, but every episode it's like an anthology almost, where every episode is a different case, and like same characters, different like business or they're being lawyers for different people. Yeah. So there's only it's kind of a grind to watch. It's like an uptown lawyer. Like Yeah. I don't it's know. It's hard two hundred episodes of that, but oh I'm interested to see what you think long term. So far the first two episodes were pretty good. The pilots, they kinda grab my attention. There's pretty good banter, pretty good script writing. But then the next two episodes that I've watched are not as good. But we'll see. George Kirby just got hurt, I guess, and did not pitch today. Oh, he's just ill. Never mind. He'll be fine. Julio Rodriguez also got scratched. Left foot soreness. Yeah, I saw Gavin Williams also got scratched. Is that right? Am I miss? No, I did see that. He only pitched like Oh, he pitched. I think inning. he pitched like an inning. Right knee soreness. That doesn't sound good. Oh, he fell down awkwardly after delivery. I mean, he, he'll probably be fine. Okay, sorry. I just got some uh, breaking news and wanted to put that in here. All right, next up, player you can't stop watching. I'm gonna start. Um, I usually don't do this, but I'm gonna start because I have been really watching a player for this last week because he's been really going off, and it's exciting for me because I just traded him away, Bryce Harper. I have not been able to stop watching Bryce Harper. He just keeps on hitting homers. I thought uh, I thought the power was sapped after the uh, after the TJ surgery, and uh, I thought he wasn't going to get it back till next year. But it appears I was wrong, and he is all of a sudden hitting a lot of homers. Granted, one of them was an inside the park home run, so that's like you know not as impressive as a one that goes out of the park. But he looks good. He looks good, and I am. Uh, Excited. I still do have him in one league. I traded him away in one league, but still have him in another. So I am excited to see that uh, hopefully he will uh, take me to a championship in that league. Next up, we've got Ben. Ben, who's a player you cannot stop watching? Um, I don't know. If this is like semi-cheating. He's only been up for three games now. Um, but Rockies recently recalled first base or 
first time called first baseman Hunter Goodman. Uh, he had, I think, 36 home runs in the minors in like 100 games this year. Huge power. He had like 36 last year. So like, it's not like he's a pop-up. Dude's got legit pop, huge exit velocities. Uh, he hit just an absolute line drive off the right center field wall in the course today, like deep right center, just a straight line. Uh, first career triple. Uh, he's got five hits so far in his first three games. Um, and he does not hit a lot of ground balls. His swing is geared to hit fly balls. And with big eggs of velos and playing every day in cores, I think he like has a potential long-term to, you know, if everything clicks to be a 40 home run kind of guy. So I recently added him in redraft and uh, hoping he goes crazy for me. Yeah, that could be a huge add down the stretch here. Uh, Hunter Goodman for the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, I hadn't even really heard about him until right now, but I'm seeing now that his exit helos are good, and he's got – he looks young, too. How, how old is he, do you know? He's only 23. Uh, he was drafted as a catcher, um, plays first base now. Not really good enough behind the plate to stick, but he's got huge pop, man. I'm, I've been kind of, like, into him since last year, but, like, there's some swing and miss concerns in there, but he kind of shirted up this year and was walking a little more, so – I couldn't roster him, so honestly, I told Josh Warner about him, and Josh was like, yeah, I'm on it. He added him real quick. Yeah, and I will say that first base, especially this year for some reason, has proven to be super deep. And I feel like there are a bunch of first basemen that are playing well. And like Josh Bell has recently been playing out of his mind. And I don't know. There's probably room for somebody in each league has probably got room for him on their roster, I imagine. Um, like some people are still starting like Rowdy Telez at first base and that guy needs to go. Um, yeah, so there's definitely probably room for him on somebody's roster. And that's and there's I, I can't remember, but I know that the Rockies have a lot of home games down the stretch. So that's uh, is this whole next week. Yeah, I was about to say almost all of next week is and then they have a week on the road and then a week back at home. So to the next three weeks at home. So definitely big benefit there. Yeah, that's a good look. That's a good look. I think any Rocky that's kind of on the waiver wire right now is a good look kind of towards the end of the year of fantasy. Like uh, Ryan McMahon, uh, Ezekiel Tovar, like any of those guys on waiver wire could be good uh, good fantasy playoff ads with all the home games that they've got coming up here. Brock, what about you? Who's a player that you cannot stop watching? Uh, I've got one just. I'm not really watching them, but Ronald Acuna is one home run away from being the first ever 30 home run, 60 stolen base guy. Um, he actually has 61 stolen bases. Um, so that's been kind of cool to follow. Um, but as of late, I actually just added him because I didn't know he was available. But um, Royce Lewis has, in the last week, 11 RBIs, four home runs, and seven runs. Um, he's like a former top prospect, but he's been really, really hot for the twins. So kind of cool to see him go off. And every time he's been up, he's been pretty good. And then he gets hurt or gets sent back down. So I don't know. He's batting 317 on the season and he's been playing pretty well lately. So it's been cool to see. Yeah. That dude just needs to stay healthy. Like I, he hasn't been healthy for a long stretch, at least that I've seen in the majors, but when he's up, he hits the ball hard and he just looks good. So, yeah, that'd be huge for the Twins and huge for anybody that's got him on their team. I think he could be a good add down the stretch here, too. 
you just got to be healthy for a couple more weeks here and can do a lot of uh, do a lot of good for people on their fantasy playoffs, which either have probably already started or are coming up here very soon. All right, let's do a little bit of tea around the league. Um, I want to go to Brock here first. Brock, first let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of the Angels drama that's been going on the last week or so. Um, I'll kind of lay the stage and then I'll hand it over to you. But uh, some of the big news, and I think I'm pretty sure we recorded last week before this news came out, the uh, the Otani UCL, which, first of all, absolutely devastating. Like, worst news that there could possibly be. Just such an electric player, best ever, if you ask me. Uh, definitely best of the last couple of years. Um, tears his UCL, done pitching for the year, won't pitch all next year. Um, maybe done pitching for his career, which obviously is a huge bummer, but maybe he'll take the approach that Ben was suggesting earlier and he might do like a bullpen type thing. I don't know. It's a bummer because it's his second, uh, Tommy John surgery, um, which there isn't a ton of history of pitchers coming back from a second Tommy John and being like really elite, I guess, uh, Verlander, Verlander, did Verlander have two? I can't remember if Verlander had two, but yeah, I think Verlander had two. Um, but outside of that, like in terms of being like an elite pitcher, it's pretty hard to find a guy that's come back from two Tommy Johns and come back and been elite. So that's obviously concerning for the Otani pitching camp. But yeah, I mean, he's still hitting and he's still hitting, you know, very well, honestly, over the last week or so that the torn UCL um, news has come out. But what the drama is, is that I guess, I mean, every, we've kind of known that he wasn't fully healthy for over a month now, I would say. He's been taking out his starts early, and they kept on saying, like, oh, he's arm fatigued, or he's, like, having arm soreness or whatever it might be. But there's never any news of, like, an actual injury. And then finally, it was like, okay, yeah, he has a torn UCL. And they were like, We've known that like he's been taking out, been taken out recently, and that he seemed kind of hurt, but we haven't done any imaging until like this last week. And the Angels obviously were under fire for that because that's ridiculous to have a guy coming out looking injured, like arm fatigue for a month, and not do any imaging on his arm. Like that seems pretty suspicious. And then so the Angels were under fire, but then the Angels went and turned around, turned it around on Otani and his agent. And we're saying that no, Otani and his agent wouldn't let us do imaging on his arm and didn't want to do imaging on his arm. Um, which is like the Angels just throwing Otani and his agent completely under the bus there. Which I guess if you're Otani and his agent, I sort of understand. Like obviously he's going into free agency and a injury, especially like a torn UCL. All I've seen is like a partial torn UCL. I guess we don't really have confirmation he's getting Tommy John surgery yet, but I think it's all but certainty at this point. Um, I understand from their perspective, like maybe like either being in denial, like there's no way this is happening before he's about to sign this, like the biggest deal in baseball history, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, like, from the, like, obviously if you sign a deal, like you're going to go through some sort of a physical and there's no way you could hide a torn UCL. So I feel like his agent, trying to prolong the testing is kind of a bad look if that's really what was happening. And I feel like it probably was. 
But that that was a whole drama thing, and it sucks for the Angels because they went all in at the trade deadline, and everything has pretty much fallen apart since then. It sucks for Otani because obviously, like I said, he's the best player in baseball, and he just lost so much money with his injury. And then the Angels today <laughs> purge their entire roster. They waiver every single player they got at the trade deadline. I can't pull. I don't know the list exactly, but it was Reynaldo Lopez who they just got a deadline. Uh, Lucas Giolito, they just got a deadline. Hunter Renfro, who they had before, but they just wavered everybody because they don't want to pay him anymore, and they're giving up on this year. So there's just there's a lot going on with the Angels right now, and it sucks for everybody that's involved. So Brock, give me talk talk to me a little bit about the Angels. Yeah, we'll work in reverse order here. Um, I don't remember, and maybe this has happened in the past, and I just wasn't as in tune with it, but. I don't remember teams trading for players and then it not working out and them immediately waiving them. I know that there are benefits to waiving them for the team as far as like their cap goes. Um, it's something with like the luxury tax. I don't, I'm not in tune enough with the finance of baseball to really understand all of it, but basically if they get signed, um, the owner's going to save a bunch of money because like, I don't, then they don't have a cap, but they have like an over cap, overage cap limit or something. So basically, it's a money saving move and they're just punting the season. But to let like four to five rosterable MLB pieces just hit the waivers for playoff teams to go out and snag, that kind of adds an interesting little wrinkle to the playoff race here to see who gets Giolito and like you said, Hunter Renfro. Um, Ronaldo Lopez is a good bullpen arm. There are a lot of teams that I think would be interested in him. Um, the Yankees kind of did the same thing. They cut or they waived Harrison Bader and Josh Donaldson. So maybe that's just a thing that's going to start happening more. I don't recall a time that that happened a lot, but um, so there's that piece. I don't necessarily agree with it. They're just completely punting on all those trades. But the Otani situation was honestly the nail in the coffin for my um, MLB interest in this season. I'm having Otani in our Dynasty League. This was like the first last, though, I guess I'm on a bye this week, but the last week of the season was the first week that I used Otani as a hitter. And he had really been probably my second best pitcher behind Garrett Cole. So now losing him for the rest of this season going into the playoffs and then likely next season is pretty, pretty brutal. The thing that, I, I mean, first off, I feel terrible for Otani as a person because he was probably going to get a $400 million record-breaking deal. He'll still probably get a deal that's bigger than Aaron Judge's. But if he has Tommy John this offseason, I don't know that he'll even be able to hit at the beginning of the year. I know Bryce Harper tried to do it, but he lost so much power. He's just finally gotten it back in the last few weeks. But he kind of looked like a shell of himself. Um, with an arm injury. So I don't know. It, it is just demoralizing. One for Otani, two for the game of baseball. Because, yeah, two, if anybody's going to do it, it could be Otani come back from two Tommy Johns and still be electric as a starter. But I would imagine the team who invests a 10 year deal into him probably would rather just have him as a DH. And like Ben said earlier, like a high leverage reliever or closer. Um, I was talking to Ben um, earlier, and I think the Giants are kind of a perfect fit for him now because 
they love high leverage relievers. They have one of the best bullpens in the MLB. And if you could have a bullpen of Camilo Duvall, Shohei Otani, um, the the Rogers twins, Luke Jackson, that's pretty nasty. Um, and just let them play DH full time. I think that will probably the future for Otani will become more clear around winter time. I'd imagine those winter meetings. He might sign around then, but I don't know. Like I said, it's kind of demoralizing. It kind of makes me sad to talk about because he's so great. Yeah, I think the Harper point that you brought up is a really good one because I can't remember the exact timelines of Harper's Tommy John surgery, but he really has only come online like the last few weeks. So if that's the timeline that we're looking at for Otani, then he's pretty much going to lose almost a whole nother year. Obviously, he's not pitching next year, and it's only going to be like this last like month and a half for Bryce. So we're really only looking at like the last month and a half for Otani next year. But I'm curious. So Bryce is a lefty. Was it his? Was it Bryce's left arm that he had Tommy John, or was it his right arm? Do you know? It was probably his left, I imagine, right? It it was his left arm, yeah. It was Bryce's his right. Lefty, lefty. No, Bryce throws right-handed. Yeah, Bryce throws right-handed. Oh, so so it's so, so it's, it's the, same the exact same. It's the exact same. Yeah, it's the Otani. exact same thing. However, Otani will get the surgery probably a month sooner because Bryce had that deep playoff run. So it'll be on a little bit of a quicker timeline, like a month, month and a half ahead. Okay. Okay. So that's that's I don't know. That's good. But I think that you're probably right, Brock, in that I don't know if the team that signs him is really going to want to be throwing him out as a starter anymore. And that's why I think we may see have seen the end of starter Otani, which obviously is a huge bummer. But I don't know. Let's let's go to bed. I know Ben was talking about. Have two-way players should only be relievers earlier, so he might have a similar opinion. But what do you um, think? No, I like. I, th- I think Otani should still get four hundred million this offseason. Um, I mean, you could still try to use him as a starter after the Tommy John. If it doesn't work, you have like an absolutely electric arm out of the pen, and he's having a better season than Judge did last year. He is uh, just so such a elite hitter that. He's worth three hundred fifty million for the bat alone. Um, not to mention what he brings you in like revenue for like international stuff like that. Plus, you throw in the extra fifty million for a you know a gamble on the arm. Um, definitely hurts his bottom line. I think he probably would have gotten five or six hundred million this offseason if he hadn't gotten hurt. Still think he gets four hundred mil. Uh, one thing I'd like to raise is, you know, do you guys think maybe the Angels wanted to trade him? but knew he wouldn't pass a physical, so they had to buy? Like, is that a possibility? I think it could be a possibility. I didn't really talk about that, but Nick is right. There were, like, a whole month where he kept getting pulled from every single start, and they just kept saying arm soreness, arm fatigue, arm soreness, arm fatigue. I wonder, you, you could be right that they wanted him to go in for imaging the first time they pulled him, and if they were like, if his agent really did say no, they could have just like hamstrung them and they literally couldn't have made a trade. Yeah. That's crazy to think about, honestly. Like, what do you do in the angels in that situation? Like, I don't know. Can you literally like force a guy to go in for imaging? Probably not. Right. 
But I don't know. That puts them in a bad spot. And it, I, I feels bad for Otani, obviously, because he's got to be doing everything he can. Like, to, like, I would imagine me being in Otani's situation, I got to think, like, no, I'm fine. Like, trying to push through it. But, oh, my gosh. It just, it honestly just makes me sick thinking about it. Like, it just it sucks so bad. I just hope that if he has Tommy John, he doesn't lose anything on the hitting side. Because that would be really bad. Which, is, I mean, it's unprecedented. Most hitters don't tear their UCL. Like, that's pretty rare to be an infielder, an outfielder, and blow out your arm. I mean, it happens on rare occasions, and Harper was one of them. But, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, kind of makes me sad to think about <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And then for to respond kind of to your Angels purging their whole roster, like is that something that we've seen before? If I remember correctly, I might be wrong here, but I think there was like a waiver trade period that just got done away with this year. Like I think this is the first year without it. And usually up until I think September 1st, like I think it was a month after the trade deadline. So even now, the Angels could technically like waive people but and then after they waived them, like they could make a trade with somebody. Like if somebody was like lower on waivers, if they, they cleared waivers. Oh, they would have to clear. I, I think it was if they cleared waivers, then you could. Yeah, Ben. I think Ben knows. He looks like he's. Yeah, they'd have to clear waivers, and I think most people would let them clear waivers because I think there was some sort of like, I don't know, financial benefit to like not claiming a guy and then trading for him. I don't really understand how, but I think there's financial benefits to that. Like you might have gotten him cheaper or the team you're trading him from like eats a portion of the contract because of that. But I didn't know they did away with it this year. I figured the Angels were just doing that, like hoping they cleared and then trying to trade them. But yeah, I guess it's just going to be like the new norm having like kind of just like 10 veterans hit the wire for, you know, playoff teams to maybe sign, try out, see if they could, uh, you know, catch lightning in a bottle with somebody be, kind of interesting yeah i think it's why well, i'm almost certain that they did away with that the waiver trade period after the trade deadline I, like i don't think that's i don't think that's the thing at all anymore which is crazy i saw a really funny tweet from scott white that said that if somebody in your fantasy league did what the angels are doing right now like you wouldn't invite them back next year this like is correct <laughs> like they're out of it and they're just letting go of all their good players like, or not all their good players, but all their, like, decent veterans. Like, I don't know. It's just so crazy to think. Because I, I agree what, with what Brock said. Like, the Yankees doing it with Donaldson and Bader, too. Like, Bader hasn't been bad this year, and he hasn't been bad in his stint with the Yankees. So, seeing him on waivers, and he's going to, hypothetically, I think, could get put on a playoff team this year. And Harrison Bader could make an impact. Like, rosters are expanding here in a couple days. Like, somebody's going to pick up Harrison Bader, and he's going to make an impact in the playoffs, I think. But obviously, like, Hunter Renfro and Lucas Giolito. I saw a lot of stuff about Lucas Giolito um, over the last, like, 24 hours on social media about how he just, like, needs to do a couple tweaks with his arsenal, and then he's going to be a really good pitcher for somebody. So I think – I don't know. This is just – it's interesting to see this, and I agree. It's very interesting. Brock, you had your hand raised. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, also, Mike Trout came off the IL, played like two or three games, 
the Otani news came out, and then he went right back to the IL. <laughs> it was like he was – I think he's – I wonder, like, all the limelight's been on Otani, rightfully so. But we forget Mike Trout was probably the second-best player in the MLB for the last decade. And I wonder where he's at mentally because he's kind of locked into the Angels, I think, for a few more years. But there was a lot of talk last year that he could get traded. So I'll be curious to see if he's trying to get out this offseason too or request a trade because that was interesting that he got healthy, came back, and then just immediately. <laughs> yeah, he's saying Mike Trout is locked in with the Angels for a few more years. He's locked up through uh, 2030. So he's locked up. He's locked up for the next like seven years, um, or six years that is. Um, so yeah, he's very much a locked up angel for a long time. And I agree. Like I saw that whole like maybe he was like pushing himself to come back a little bit early because he like obviously the Angels bought at the deadline and they pretty much went all in and then they like doubled down and yeah I don't know like maybe he saw everything that's been going on. He's like, well I'll just take a seat and come back next year or something like that. But yeah, no, he's locked up with the angels through 2030. There was age 38 season. That's less than ideal. Yeah. So he's pretty much stuck in a franchise that is like basically purging their whole roster. It seems like, and they have youth, I guess, like in Neto, but like who else is there there? I guess they have Nolan, they have logan ohoppy but yeah it's not enough to no not enough (laughs) especially if because i doubt they're going to get otani back now like they've pretty they're pretty they're in a very very bad spot and as an orange county resident i feel bad for where the angels are at but tickets are going to be cheap (laughs) all right well the next thing that i had are on T around the league are the Yankees being horrible, absolutely terrible this year. Um, the amount of Twitter stuff that I see about the Yankees is just way too high, just because obviously it's the Yankees. Um, like everybody trying to say that Volpe's had a good rookie season, which is just blatantly false and is frustrating for me to see people trying to make that argument. But basically, the Yankees are terrible. And I don't know if you all saw the whole like controversy. Um, this last like week and weekend, but they were trying to like pick fights with the Rays, basically like Randy got hit and then stole two bases. And then it became like whole deal. Like the bench is cleared like three or four times. I can't remember who it was, but somebody on the Rays basically just put the Yankees on blast. They're like, they're in last place. Like we don't care about them. They're trying to light a fire, like clearing the benches and trying to make something of this, but like, we don't care. Like they're a last place team. We don't, we don't care about playing them. We don't care about any of that. They're a last place team. They're irrelevant. And I, obviously, as a Yankees hater, I loved all of this drama that's been happening this week. I don't know if uh, we can go to Ben first, but if you saw any of the Yankees drama recently and like with the Rays, and I can't remember who that Rays pitcher was, but I don't know. And, and I guess specifically like about Volpe, what do you think how Volpe's season has been? Are you encouraged? Like, are you encouraged to draft him next year? Discouraged to draft him next year? long-term fantasy value and just Um, if you're in your analysis if you could just say that the yankees really sucked that would be awesome as a volpe dynasty owner i'm not gonna go full bore on hating on him like you did 
Um, he has been by war standards more valuable than Carlos Correa and Trey Turner combined. Um, he has like almost three and a half F4, I believe. I believe Correa is like one. Trey Turner's might have just gone up recently because he's been hit like four home runs in the last five days, but it's pretty close. Um, so, you know, I think Volpe's been decent. He's now, after today, one home run away from a 2020. His OPS is approaching 700 now after a pretty disastrous start to the season. And if you look at the advanced data, I mean, it's pretty encouraging. He hits line drives and fly balls at a pretty elite rate. So if he can, you know, just cut down on the K rate, add a few more walks, I mean, he could easily be a 30-30 guy playing in Yankee Stadium. I mean, it's not – I don't think what, like, people were expecting. People thought he'd be better than this. And, you know, I – you know, he didn't really play at all in AAA. He had a decent season at AA, not great last year. So, I mean, I think they rushed him, and given the circumstances, it's a pretty encouraging season. Other than that, the Yankees are garbage, absolute crap. Um, I hate them. I saw a stat the other day that, like, Brian Cashman has drafted, like, seven or eight players who have debuted with the Yankees who have, like, a war over two like Volpe's like his fourth highest war player ever drafted to play for the Yankees or something like that like he's got some gross statistic like that and then they had like a list of like all the guys he traded away who have like you know 10 plus war so uh they're bad and uh, I think Brian Cashman's getting fired um just to uh clarify some statistics here Carlos Correa f war 1.2 this year Trey Turner, 2.4 F4 this year, and Anthony Volpe, 1.9. Okay, well, okay, well, baseball reference has Anthony Volpe at 3.3 war for some reason. Um, I think that Fangraphs takes defense into account more than baseball reference. I don't know if Volpe's defense is bad, but at least no, from I think my, it's pretty good. Really? I think from my understanding, I thought that defense was more – Maybe baseball a, reference weights stolen bases more. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. I I, I don't know for sure, but um, Trey Turner has more WAR than Anthony Volpe by himself in at least in Fangraphs WAR. Yeah, Trey but Turner's also, definitely been better, but like Volpe's still been pretty Turner, good being pushed. Yeah, Trey Turner was being or was a pretty like disappointing player this year until he got that standing ovation from Philly fans. <laughs> and has been fantastic since. But Brock, tell us you you just traded away Anthony Volpe, so give us a give us a negative take about Anthony Volpe. Tell us about how bad he is. Um, he hits for bad average. I I like Anthony Volpe. I just really dislike the Yankees, and I love to see them struggling like this. Um, I guess it was more so that I wanted Tink Hints than I didn't like Anthony Volpe. Everything Ben said, I kind of agree with. The average looked bad, but he will probably have a 2020 season as a rookie. Um, I think the expectations that the Yankees fans put on Devolpe was a little bit high. I think he probably could have used a little bit more time in the minors. Hindsight is 2020, but I felt like the Yankees didn't sign Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, any of those big-name guys. So their response was to call up Volpe and try to make him like the next Derek Jeter. And then because Cashman signed Frankie Montas, Carlos Rodon um, paid John Carlos Stan way too much, and he's already bad. I don't like Cashman made all these bad moves, tried to make Volpe the savior. The team was so bad, 
Volpe's performance is kind of to has the the blame has kind of fallen a little bit on Volpe, which I think is unfounded. But mostly their rotation is terrible. They have Garrett Cole and then a thrown together Nestor Cortez, who was good last year but isn't that great. They're just they have a bad roster. It's top heavy. They spent too much money on Judge in hindsight, probably. Um, turns out two one player can't carry your team, a la Mike Trout. Um, I don't know. I like Volpe. I think that he'll be fine long long term. Um, but yeah, mostly just happy to see Yankees downfall. Yeah, I guess uh, I may have been wrong about the defensive weight in the different wars because it looks like. Baseball Reference War does have Volpe at a 3.3, which is better than Trey Turner at a 2.5, which seems really ridiculous to me, given the two seasons that they've had. So it's hard for me to uh, to reconcile. Um, but his defensive war on Baseball Reference is 2.2 for Volpe. So I guess he is he is a stellar defender. Because, um, yeah, but I don't know. I Defensive war for... Um, for Trey Turner, it looks like it's at a 0.3. So it looks like it's the uh, the big difference there. Um, but still, I obviously would rather have Trey Turner 2023 than Volpe 2023. So I don't know how I feel about the uh, baseball reference war stat. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think his average or his on-base percentage is ever really going to be that good, which is obviously always going to hurt the stolen base numbers. For for Anthony Volpe especially, I feel like he stole seven bases like in the first two weeks of the season, and now he has 20 stolen bases on the year. Like he's stolen 13 bases since the first like week of the season, which I feel like Volpe was supposed to be like this 50 steal guy. And I'm, I'm obviously if you have a batting average of 216, like that limits your steal chances. But I think his speed, especially, which was supposed to be like one of his best attributes, has been pretty disappointing. Um, yeah, he's he's 22. I I don't know. My stance on rookies in the MLB, I guess, is for as long as I could remember, like rookies would be called up, and no one really had huge expectations for them. They're like they're a rookie; they've got to adjust to the league. But then guys like Fernando Tatis, Julio Rodriguez. There were like a few call-ups in the last few years where they just absolutely took – Tatis is the one that I think of just top of mind. Like he came up and took the league by storm. So then I feel like there's this new expectation with rookies that they're going to come up and just immediately uh, acclimate to the MLB-level pitching. But I don't know. In the past, people didn't have that expectation, and it might take three or four years for them to really you know, catch up physically and – adjust to the level of pitching. So I don't know. I tailor expectations for rookies. And I think the kind of the point that I made earlier, the Yankees just placed unrealistic expectations on what Volpe could do. And yes, his average was low. Yes, his OBP was low. But in the minors, he never really struggled with that. So I don't know. I trust his track record in the minors and that he'll adjust. And the Yankees were bad. And the clubhouse, I'm sure, was a disaster and not a fun place to go to work every day when you know the fans are mad at you and the team. Yeah, I'll say one last thing for to, about Volpe, and then I'll pass it to Ben if you want to say anything, and then we can move on to our last topic for the day. But I think that the thing that disappoints me the most about Volpe, and I guess he is only 22, 
like his sprint speed is 79th percentile, which like to not be in like the 80th or even better percentile for a guy that was like so touted highly on his speed is disappointing. And his max exit velocity is 43rd percentile. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't really see, I don't know. I just don't really see like an elite fantasy player in Volpe. And I don't know if I'll ever be excited to draft him in fantasy in the future. And obviously he's only 22, so there's still a lot of room for improvement and to improve that max exit velo and sprint speed. But there are just guys that are like right around his age that have those elite talents like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt that are just like they are hitting the ball hard and they are running faster than everybody in the whole league. And I just think that I feel like and maybe it's just because he's a Yankee and he's in New York, but I feel like Volpe was talked about like he was going to be like the next like Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez. And I just I don't see a path for that to ever be possibility like i don't think he's ever going to be as good as them in any way ben i'll pass it to you real quick if you have any response but otherwise we'll move on to our last topic here i agree that he's not going to be bobby witt julio rodriguez he does not have those elite tools but what he does do is he hits line drives and fly balls at an incredibly high rate at exit velos that aren't elite but are good enough with those rates to put up good counting stats I think, and you talk about the sprint speed. Yeah, he's not the fastest guy either, but he is pretty fast. And he's 20 for 24 on steal attempts this year. So he's been efficient. It's not like he's getting thrown out a ton. It's not like that's going to get axed from his game. Um, I don't know particularly why he's been, you know, more tentative on the base paths, but I mean, the percentage, you know, is pretty good. So, you know, I don't think he's going to be an elite talent like Bobby Witt, guys who, you know, are going to be fighting to go 40 40 for the next 10 years, I think. But I could see him. You know, being a pretty consistent guy who is, you know, 15 to 25 homers, 15 to 25 steals with maybe a 250, 260 batting average and, you know, a decent slash with, you know, good defense. You know, I don't think he's going to be an elite player, but I think he does a lot of things really well um, and he will settle in as a, a, a good asset. Yeah. And I'll say, sorry, just two more things. I think one, my Yankees bias is definitely playing in here in my hate of Anthony Volpe. So I think that I'm probably like overselling his faults. And two, I do think this is like maybe one of the worst Yankees rocker rosters that we've seen in our entire lifetime. And the way that the Yankees just throw money at people, I don't know that we'll see a Yankees roster this bad again for a while. So I think obviously that's going to help Anthony Volpe just being a part of a better lineup and a better team moving forward in his career. Um, and ideally like just being in a better environment. Cause like Brock was saying, like this Yankees team is just, it can't be a fun place to be right now. Like fans are being horrible to you as your team is being bad. Like I imagine it just compounds on that and just gets worse. So I think that obviously those two things, like there's going to be a better lineup in the future. And I think obviously my Yankees bias is playing in a little bit. All right. Our last topic for the day are, and this one I'm excited about. I'm talking about baseball Lin Sanity moments. So Lin Sanity, for all those who are not familiar, uh, Jeremy Lin was a basketball player for the Knicks. I can't remember what year it was, like 2017, 2018, maybe. Somewhere around there. Somebody got hurt or there was some sort of scenario where 
Uh, Jeremy Lin got thrown in. He'd been kind of a journeyman at that point. Like, hadn't really ever gotten a large amount of playing time. But there was, like, a solid month where Jeremy Lin looked like he was the best player in all of the NBA. Like, he was amazing, like, hitting game-winning shots, like, putting up 30 points a game. Like, he looked amazing. But it was just, like, pretty much for that month. But everybody was freaking out. It was, like, Lin sanity. Everybody tuned into the Knicks games to watch uh, Jeremy Lin play. So it was, uh, I don't know, it was a good time. It was a lot of fun. But it was, like, pretty much just, like, a short span where this player looked like he was the best player in the entire sport. It's kind of like a one-hit wonder, like, in terms of, like, the, you know, music industry. It's basically, what's your favorite, like, Lin Sandy, what's your favorite one-hit wonder baseball moment? Um, I'm, I'll start. I'll start with my favorite two, I think. Um, one is the Trevor Story, the start to Trevor Story's career. I don't know why I remember that one so vividly, but... Trevor Story starting his career, I feel like he hit seven home runs in the first like 10 games he played. That might be an exaggeration, but it was something like that. And I really, really remember just the low. I think it was maybe the first year I really, really got into fantasy baseball. And Trevor Story was just really, really fun. Um, so I think that is definitely one of my favorite Lin Sanity baseball memories. I think probably because it's one of my first baseball Lin Sanity memories. Um, but this one... This one, I don't really know if it falls into the Lin Sanity category, and this one I'm kind of throwing up for Ben over there. But I think that stretch that Arietta had, I think it might have even been over like a year and a half. There was like a year and a half or like four months or like a season and a half. I don't exactly remember what it was. But it was a very, very long stretch of time for Jake Arietta, where he hit more home runs than he let up. And it was like, a, a ridiculous amount like he'd hit like four home runs and he'd given up like two over a season and a half like jake arietta had one of the most dominant season and a half we've ever seen and that was very very exciting to watch i remember tuning into a lot of jake arietta starts and just being super excited about watching him play so that was another one of my favorite lindsay moments and obviously Pujols last year and going for 700 was super fun and i was at the game where he hit 700 so that was amazing um, but that's that, those are the ones that kind of uh, come up to the top of my head. I guess we will go to uh, uh, Ben. Ben, if you're ready, if you've got some ideas, let's hear them. Yeah, I mean, Arietta was uh, like so crazy for that season and a half. It's like maybe the most dominant pitcher maybe I've seen in my lifetime over a season. I mean, he had two no hitters in that span. And legitimately, the fix players like had on him when they started to hit him a little bit better was like, you just can't swing at two of his pitches, else you, you don't hit him. Like, that's the fix is like, okay, you just can't swing at these two. And most of the time, it worked because they moved so much and were so hard that they weren't strikes a lot of the time. So, um, uh, that was that's kind of crazy that that's like the type of game plan you have to take against that kind of dominance. Um, the two that come to mind for me, the biggest one is the Yasiel Puig debut when he like went nuts for the Dodgers. I was like, right when I was like getting pretty big into baseball, and I remember for like the first like three months he got called up, like he was like a baseball god. It was crazy, and that was right around when like Yoannis Cespedes was coming around. So there was like you know still some Cuban players who were a little older defecting. So that was like a, you know, kind of an interesting facet of the game, kind of like Japanese players do now. Um, and the other one for me is fantasy-based. Uh, Arshtidis Aquino hit like 17 home runs in a month one time <laughs> as a rookie. 
Uh, just the grossest stance ever, and he has like a 170 career batting average since. But I had him on my team, and he got me like, uh, I think, two playoff wins. So I appreciate Arsidis Aquino hitting 17 home runs in a month for no reason. Yeah, I love that you brought up the no-hitters, the area, because I totally forgot about that aspect of his amazing run. I think that run, I mean, obviously it's probably um, it's probably rivaled by some of Kershaw's run that he's had over the couple few years, but that Arietta run was just absolutely incredible, and that was so fun to watch. Now, Brock, you just got somebody uh, sniped from you there on this list, but let's hear uh, let's hear your favorite baseball insanity moments. Yeah, Aristides was my. It was definitely the Lynn Sanity moment. That was like one of the first years we played fantasy. It was right that Ben talked about him because Ben loved him in like tw- the year before he went crazy when he was a rookie. Um, but yeah, he was hit like the fourth most home runs by a rookie in one month ever. And then just like never heard from him ever again. I don't really know whatever happened to him, but crazy August. Um, Lynn Sanity doesn't really count for this one, but. Bryce Harper in 2015, um, kind of to start the season in May, his MVP season was probably one of the best seasons we've ever seen. Um, but he hit 535 um, from May 6th through 19th, um, had almost a 2,000 OPS. Um, he hit 10 home runs in 12 games, um, had 23 hits and 11 walks. Um, and I love Bryce Harper as a rookie and – I had him. I've drafted him pretty much every year since then, um, but he went absolutely berserk that year and never really slowed down. Um, but that one week was maybe one of the best weeks of fan, or fantasy baseball and baseball player ever. So crazy, crazy week. But I mean, we all know who Bryce Harper is. So yeah, I think the uh, Aquino is pretty much like Lynn Sanity to a point. There are a couple others that I wrote down that I thought like kind of fit that because even Jake Arrieta obviously is an amazing pitcher and has an amazing career and doesn't really fit it. Um, but didn't Scooter Jeanette have like a month or so where he was really good, including like a four homer game against the Cardinals in there. And like people thought I, I personally thought Scooter Jeanette was about to be because wasn't he young when he went on that stretch. But Scooter Jeanette is one that I think of uh, your mean yeah. Mercedes, your mean Mercedes. Uh, a couple of years ago was pretty fun with the White Sox, but didn't he, he had some sort of a disagreement with the manager or something. I can't remember exactly what happened. And then Eric Thames, Eric Thames came from, mm-hmm. he went overseas and then he came back and was amazing for like two months and hit a bunch of homers. So I think like the Yermin Mercedes and the Eric Thames and the Scooter Jeanettes, like those really, I think ring true with the, uh, with the Lynn Sandy. Do you guys remember any of those runs, Brock? You got you remember like yeah. those guys? Eric Thames was awesome for the Brewers. I, I do remember that. The Scooter Jeanette, I vague, I forgot about that until I read Scooter Jeanette. I don't remember what he did, but for some reason, like in my mind, Scooter Jeanette, Tommy Lestell, and Derek Dietrich are all the same person to me. They just like each of them went on tears and I think Derek, Derek Dietrich had like a three home run game in the sleeveless uniforms for the Reds. Um, I don't really ever know what happened to him. Tommy Lastilla might have also been on the Reds when he did that. But yeah, I think Eric Thames is that's a good recent one. Ben, you got a smirk over there. 
Frank Schwindel hit 344 for the Cubs over like a two month period then 2021. Yes. Grabbed him off waivers. Frankie two hits. Frankie two hits. He got two hits every game. And Frank the next year comes out and everyone was like, yeah, dude, Frank's the first baseman. (laughs) And he he hit like 224 with like a 660 OPS at first base, which like you can't do. And they ended up cutting him like halfway through the year. So uh, definitely some insanity going on there with Frankie two hits. Yeah, I I do. I actually, now that you mentioned that, I do remember Frankie two hits like at the end of 2021. Like, I don't know what it was. Every time I looked at the box score, he had two hits. Like there was never any doubt about it. Um, Yeah, that one, that one was very fun. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got for, uh, for Lynn Sanity baseball moments, at least off the top of my head. I'm sure, I don't know, all you listeners, if you've got any, uh, any baseball Lynn Sanity moments, I would love to hear them. Um, yeah, I can't remember at least any in, uh, in my baseball recollection. Ben, you got something? Um, I got one more. I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, kind of obscure. Do you guys remember who Brandon Finnegan is? I do. He's a pitcher, no? Yeah, he was a left-handed pitcher, and he was the first-round pick of the the Royals the year they won their World Series. And they brought him up, and they used him out of the bullpen. And uh, he was, like, really dominant, and they were, like, going to use him as a starter the next year, and he was pretty good to start the year. Um, And then he ended up, like, kind of getting hit around a little bit to end the year and ended up getting traded to the Reds and has been a career minor leaguer since. But, like, he was, like, nuts in that playoff run, like, as a first-year pitcher straight out of college and then was pretty trash ever ever since. Yeah, I can think of uh, – shoot, I just forgot who I was thinking of. But there was another – I don't know. These these are fun. I like the, uh, the Lynn Sanity baseball moments. Yeah, Ibaldo um, Jimenez is one that comes to mind. He had a nasty year pitching, I think it was for the Rockies maybe. And then never heard from him again. Honestly, kind of like Kyle Freeland. Um, All right. Yeah, I saw your. Yeah, I think we're going to try and do the immaculate grid here at the end of the uh, at the end of the pod. Uh, I'm going to try and I'm trying to share my screen, but I can't figure out how to uh, pull that up. But if everybody, if all of us just pull up the immaculate grid, assuming none of you have done it, I've not. Nor have I. All right, so I will uh, I will outline the immaculate grid for all of you listeners that you can be playing along with us. So the columns, the columns, are the Marlins, the Rangers, and then three thousand career hits in their career. So three thousand career hits, um, and then the rows are we're looking at the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Red Sox. So once, once again, the columns are the Marlins, the Rangers, and 3,000 career hits. And the rows are the Dodgers, Angels, Red Sox. So let's start up in the top. Look at Dodgers, Marlins. Does anybody have any Dodgers and Marlins that come to the top of their head? Because I certainly do not. Um... Let's skip that one. Yeah, let's skip Dodgers Marlins. Let's go to Dodgers 
Texas Rangers. That one's pretty easy. I'm thinking, you Darvish. I was thinking Corey Seager. That works too. I'm going to go Corey Seager. I have a Dodger Marlin, Miguel Rojas. Miguel Rojas. Miguel Rojas. Nice. Nice. All right, do we have a Dodger that has 3,000 career hits? There's got to be a lot of them, I imagine, but I can't. Um, 3,000 is a lot of hits. I, I think Kirk Gibson maybe, but I think we should wait on it for a second. I think yeah, Kirk, a- Kirk Gibson had 3,000 hits. Jackie yeah. Robinson did not. No. Did not. Who was the old Marlins coach? Uh, Mattingly, did he? No, no. He had a short career. I think Kirk Gibson's my best answer right now. Albert right. is always my de facto. <laughs> I think yeah. Albert has 3,000 hits. Yeah, but we need Albert for Angels and 3,000 hits. That's fair. I feel like Angels and 3,000 hits is probably we need to do that for Albert. Um, I think I know an Angels. No, no, no. Use Albert. I know an Angels 3,000 hits, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah Rod, Carew. Rod Carew. Yeah. Rod who? Rod Carew. Carew. Did Dave Winfield play for the Angels? No, I don't think so. Did Rod Carew have 3,000 hits? Hey, he sure did. Look at that. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> All right, now we need we need an Angel and a Ranger. An Angel and a Ranger. Who's played Josh for- Hamilton. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. His poor daughter. And we need an Angel and a Marlin. Is that not Adam Duvall? No, 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 no. He's Boston Marlin. Angel and a Marlin. Duvall, like Duvall, played for, Duvall played for the Red Sox and the Marlins, right? Yeah. Uh, and the Braves. He played for the Marlins? Am I am I crazy in thinking that? Yeah, he played. I he don't played know. For, he played for the Marlins. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Angels and the Marlins. Who's an Angel and a Marlin? I really cannot think of any. Edwin Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Always a solid guess. Um, Can we get a Ranger and a Red Sox? Um, Mike Napoli. Oh, yep. That's really good. Cubs first base coach. All right, so all, all we have left is 3,000 career hits for the Red Sox, which there's got to be some Easy. that we can get. And then uh, Marlins and Angels. Did Andrew Did Heaney he... ever pitch for the Marlins? I don't think so. I want to feel like Did he Josh Beckett pick, pitch for the Angels ever? I'm pretty sure Andrew Heaney was a Marlins prospect. Was he? I think you're I'm right. Pretty sure. I think you're right. I think he did pitch for the Marlins. Are we going with Heaney? I think Heaney's yeah. the best. Oh, wow, you started his career in 2014. I didn't know he's been around so long. All right, if we get this one right, I think Boston 3,000 hits is pretty much a lock. Okay, this right. Nice. Let's go. And Andrew Heaney is both a Marlin and an Angel. All right, uh, Boston 3,000 hits. Is this not just like Babe Ruth? Ted Williams. Ted Williams, is, I like that answer a little bit better. Yeah, it's a better answer. 
Wrong. Ted Williams in that. Did Ted Williams not play for Boston? <laughs> what? Ted Williams. Is, Ted Williams is incorrect. Is it because he went to the war? <laughs> I don't know. Let's see how many career hits he had. He had yeah, two thousand six fifty four. It's because he, he missed three years for military service. Oh my goodness! You blew it! You blew it! Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Boss Hogs. Wait, I'm so confused. It says that there's five people for Boston 3,000 career hits, but then I click show, shows me more than five names. Wade Boggs. Mm -hmm. He's always the. Wait, did Ichiro play for the Red Sox? I don't think so. Uh, Maybe at the very very end, but I don't remember it. No, I don't know why it's showing me Ichiro's name. I don't know. Let's see. I was pretty bad at that one. I I couldn't think of any. The Dodgers have had so many players, but I couldn't think of oh, Marlon Dodger. Right? Did we get that one right? Who did we say? Miguel Rojas. Yeah, we got that right. Man, Marlon Dodgers. I'm looking at Marlon Dodgers. Other names that we should have got. Oh, Kike. Mm, yeah. Wait, he played for the Marlins? Yeah, apparently. Kike played for the Marlins in 2014. Josh Beckett. Did somebody say Josh Beckett? I think Ben did. Josh Beckett would have been right. Raphael for call. We could have got. Cardinal. Yes, he was a Cardinal. Dude, Ted Williams' career 344 hitter didn't have 3,000 hits in 19 seasons. Oh, D. Gordon. D. Gordon has played for both of the. uh... Marlins. strange. Yeah, the one that Vlad was also Rangers, Angels, Senior. Yeah. All right. Well, we will do uh, – I want to do one more game here at the end. It's going to be one round of Fantasy Feud, and we are going to go for – League leaders this year in walk percentage. I want the top five. Oh, my goodness. This is a very surprising list. Maybe I'll go for a one that's maybe a little bit easier because I don't think I would have. No, do it. Do it. Okay. Okay. We'll do We'll do walk percentage for 2023. I want MLB leaders in walk percentage. Who wants to buzz in? Brock, you, you don't got it? You know the first answer. You know the first one. You you do know the first one. I'm sure everybody knows the first one. Ben, is that a buzz? No. Brock, you got Brock? No, No. I'm not buzzing in. Uh, Juan Soto. Juan Soto is correct. Ben, would you like to pass or play? Play. All right, Ben, you will play. You get three strikes. We're looking for the top five answers on the board and walk percentage. In Major League Baseball. Ian Happ. Ian Happ is number eight. Just outside the top five. That is strike number one. Really? And walk percentage is tough, not like total walks. Yeah, no. He has a 14.9% walk percentage. J.P. Crawford? J.P. Crawford is number five. What an absolute snipe. Oh, my goodness. J.P. Crawford is number five with a 15.4% walk rate. I never would have guessed that. Yeah, man, I was looking at J.P. Crawford's stats the other night, actually. 
That was an absolute snipe. So you've got Juan Soto at one and JP Crawford at five. There's three in between. Uh, Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz is not in the top five, and I do not see him in the top 30. Damn it. Strike, yeah. strike number two. Man, this is tough. Um, and who walks a lot? It's one percent. of them, yeah, it's walk percentage. So I think one of them you should definitely get. But the other two, I... Is Adley on there? Adley is not on there. Adley is 16th. Okay. Yeah, I figured he was. Strike number three. Brock, can you steal or will Ben win the game? Can you steal? Brock, we need mm. either the second, third, or fourth best walk rate in the majors. I only have one guest, and it was a guy that Ben, right before we jumped on the podcast, I was talking about I'm glad I didn't drop. And he said, well, he walks a lot. I don't know if he's walked this much. Do you? Can you give us the percentages or is that cheating? No, I can give you the percentages. It's 17.1% for second place. And then two are tied at 15.5. And then J.P. Crawford is at 154 so the two you're looking, or the three you're looking for is seventeen point one in second place, and then fifteen point five tied for third. And do you know who I'm going to guess? Kyle yeah, Schwarber. Oh. Kyle Schwarber is number two and is correct. Brock Dude, has let's go. Stolen. I can't believe I forgot about Schwarber. <laughs> yes. He literally just told me. <laughs> yes. The, All right. uh, the uh, I don't know. The 187 batting average, 332 on base percentage. Kyle Schwarber is second place in walk percentage. So it goes Juan Soto at 19.1, 2% above anybody else. And then Kyle Schwarber at 17.1%. And then they jump down another over a percent and a half down to 15.5%. We have two tied with Max Muncie and Andrew McCutcheon. I never would have guessed them. My Dude, next how, guess would have been Mookie how, Betts, probably. How is Ian Happ's not higher? He has like the second most walks in the majors. I guess because he has so many ABs, I guess. Uh, yeah, where's sense. Mookie at? Mookie is does not. Oh, Mookie's at thirteen. Mookie's at thirteen with a twelve point nine percent walk rate. You see, I feel like he always walks a lot. Yeah, so he he's mm. up there as well. But yeah, so it goes Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber, Max Muncie, Andrew McCutcheon, and J.P. Crawford. Number six, nobody nobody will ever get this, Lamont Wade Jr. for the San Francisco Giants. Mm. And then number seven, I don't think I would have even guessed either, is Jack Swinski for the Pirates. Wow. And he hits nukes too. Yeah, he does. But he also strikes out 34% of the time. <laughs> Three outcomes. Yep. Ultimate three outcome player. All right. Well, that was that was a fun little game. I, I need to add more of those uh, those little fantasy feuds there at the end of the uh, at the end of the pods. I liked that quite a bit. And uh, Brock is our winner because he stole with Kyle Schwarber. Because he was afraid to play <laughs> to guess more than just one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you guys have any closing thoughts for the pod before we uh, sign off here? Brock, you go ahead. 
Um, the Mariners, at least as of yesterday, are in first place in the AL West. Um, I caught a lot of flack for that take at our midseason updates, but I don't know who they are. You guys to get on my back. So I'm happy to see that for my Mariners. Yeah, they've been fun to watch down the stretch for sure. In terms of players that we're watching, that's a team I've been watching for sure. Ben, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, if we're just going to throw in like a random last thought, uh, Albert Alzalez converted his last 18 save opportunities. That's all. Yeah, I think that's a really good, like even fantasy relevant point. Like he's on waivers in way too many leagues and he's been a very effective reliever recently. And the Cubs are winning games like he needs to be owned everywhere. Yeah, he's gross. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I will do a quick shout-out, Paul. Um, quick shout-out, Paul. And I will also shout-out uh, Vansel. Vansel did text us back eventually. He is in uh, good condition as far as we know. Um, he said that he was working out and had his phone on Do Not Disturb. And he said that he was going to shower. Um, and that was, that was the information that we received from Vansel. All right. Well, we appreciate all of the uh, all of the listens. Um, there was I saw I do have a subscription to Masterclass. I got it for my birthday, um, and uh, I saw there was a Masterclass about growing your podcast audience. So maybe I will uh, go through that and we will uh, hit it big one of these days. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, We appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next week.